uh, this morning, I want to uh, focus on a topic that brings me a lot of comfort. Um, and when I think of comfort, usually the first thing that comes to my mind, because I love to eat, is comfort food, right? I think about sidling up with like a nice bowl of mac and cheese or like a good piece of pizza or some nice sushi, like the things that bring me comfort in life, right? The foods that I can just sit there and eat them and forget about everything else going on in life for a moment and just be like, ah, this is great, right? This brings comfort. Um, a lot of people uh, find comfort in food, which is why comfort food is even a saying to begin with, but maybe you're not like me. Maybe you can't just eat until, you know, the day ends, um, and maybe you don't find comfort in food. Maybe you find your comfort food isn't food at all. Maybe it's uh, listening to your favorite song. It kind of centers you and reminds you, like, hey, everything's going to be okay. There's just something simple in life that brings you joy. Or maybe it's uh, watching an episode of your favorite TV show. Or maybe you're like my wife who finds comfort in the fall. And so even though it's the beginning of August last week, uh, she decided, you know what, I'm tired of this. I haven't had fall in my house for too long. I want some comfort. And so she put up a bunch of decorative pumpkins and some uh, orange towels and candles that smell like apple pie, even though I was like, it's August. It's the beginning of August. It's not fall. She's like, this brings me comfort. And I can't argue with that. So our house uh, looks very orange right now. And that's okay. It brings comfort. Maybe your comfort food is a memory from your childhood, something that meant something to you when you were younger, and you can look back at it, and it brings you great comfort. So I have here this book. Um, this book belonged to my great-grandfather, Lewis Hollis, who's a pastor in Kansas, where I'm from. This book, I don't know if you can see it very well on the camera, it is full of little pages that came from a typewriter, um, because he would type up his sermons back in the 20s to like the 60s was when he was a pastor. Um, he would type them up and he would put them in this book and I'm being very careful that I don't turn the wrong page because the pages are very old and they're starting to fall out. But this book is full of more than 100, maybe 150 of his sermons. Um, it started way back in the 20s and then like the second to last entry in here is about when JFK was assassinated. So that's how old this book is. Um, this book is a reminder of uh, the, the, grand, the great-grandfather that I never got to meet, right? He passed away nearly 50 years before I was born. Um, but I've heard stories. And I've heard stories from my grandfather, his son. Uh, my grandpa, his name was Jonathan Hollis. We called him Papa. Um, and Papa was a pastor. He was my pastor um, at my home church in Wichita, Kansas. He was the lead pastor of that church for over 50 years, which is just, it's crazy. You don't hear about that very often. Um, for over 50 years, and Papa had so many stories of faithfulness and how God always came through, and they were comforting to me, because they were comforting to him, right? It was his comfort stories, and there's this one story that he would tell all the time. Um, he was six or seven years old when this happened, so I don't want to guess a year, but it was sometime in the 30s. Um, six or seven years old, he was with his father. And his dad was a powerful pastor and preacher with a powerful healing anointing. And so my great-grandfather, Lewis, we called him Grandpa Hollis, um, he would pray for people 
with all kinds of different sicknesses and medical conditions and stuff, and they would just be miraculously healed. Like, he was known all over town, all over the state, as, like, this is the guy you go to, uh, because it was the 20s and 30s, and hospitals were the way they were back then. Um, so you couldn't always rely on that, but we know this guy. This guy's got a connection with the Lord. We can talk to him. He'll pray for us all night. He'll pace the floor of his house, and he'll be praying, calling out to the Lord, and people get healed, right? So this is what my great-grandfather was known for. Um, there, there's a newspaper article, actually, that my dad has somewhere in his office um, of a guy that was dead for over a day. It was close to two days, and my great-grandfather went to the morgue and prayed for him, and he was raised from the dead. It's crazy stuff. So, yeah. Um, so my great-grandpa, this is what he did. And so he was like, all right, John, talking to his son, my grandpa. He's like, all right, John, let's go. We're going to go pray for this guy. And so the guy that they were going to go pray for uh, was a very peculiar person. Uh, he went by Daddy Fike, which is a name I have probably pronounced as carefully as you can possibly pronounce. Um, Daddy Fike was a veteran of the Civil War. He fought for the Union, don't worry. Um, so he was a veteran of the Civil War, and so by the time the 30s rolled around, he would have been, I don't know, 80, 90 years old, something like that. So he was very, very old. Um, he had um, all of this, like, aggression and bitterness built up from his time in the war, but then also because he had this very strange medical condition. Um, it's going to get slightly graphic here, so if you're squeamish, sorry about that. Um, he had a condition where the muscle tissue around his eyeballs, like in his eye sockets, it started deteriorating. And over time, more and more of it was eaten away by this condition until eventually his eye sockets could no longer hold his eyeballs. And so, I'm not kidding, his eyeballs fell out of his head and they would hang on his face. And so this is how this man lived his life for years. And so as you can imagine, between that and between, I can't even imagine what he experienced in the Civil War, just so much bitterness in this man. Uh, he was known around town. Uh, they were like, don't mess with Daddy Fike, he'll shoot you. Like, not kidding. That's what he was known for. He had signs up on this giant gate in his front where today we see people have signs up where they're like, trespassers will be shot. But you can buy those at Walmart. There wasn't Walmart back then. He made that sign himself, right? This guy was the real deal. And so my great-grandpa was like, you know what? This guy needs Jesus. So he takes my grandpa. My grandpa's like six or seven years old. They both load up in the car. They drive up to the front gate. He goes, all right, John, hop out, open the gate. And so my six-year-old grandpa goes, okay. And so he goes and opens the gate. And he gets back in the car. He doesn't know what's going on. Um, and they drive up to the front porch. And they see Daddy Fike. And he's sitting there. He's got a shotgun out, and he's looking at him. And as they pull up, he's already cussing him out. He's just, get off of my property, right? That's the one thing he wants is just leave me alone. And so my great-grandpa was a smooth talker, and he talked him down. And he was like, listen, man, I just want to talk. I don't want to do anything bad. Don't worry. And so they ended up talking for a little while, and eventually he convinces the guy, hey, let me pray for you. I know that you're experiencing incredible pain, um, you're, you're suffering every single day from this medical condition, why don't I pray for you? Let's see if God can heal you. And so the guy's there, my, my great-grandfather lays his hands on him, 
the guy's wife is there, and then my grandpa, who's six years old, and he's like, just kind of like looking up at it, like with wide eyes, like, I don't know what's going to happen here. And so my great-grandpa's praying for this guy. My grandpa would tell you, he was, he was staring. He didn't have his eyes closed. He wanted to know what was going to happen. And he watched as that man's eyes were sucked back into his head. And the man was miraculously healed. He was able to see, and he never dealt with anything like that again. And he was saved that day. He gave his heart to the Lord, and his wife gave her heart to the Lord. And they ended up becoming part of the local church and becoming powerful uh, testimony bearers, basically. Like, they would go around telling the Lord, look what they did. Everyone around town knew what this guy went through. They've seen him walking around town before. They know what he looked like before, and now they know what he looks like now. And it was an incredible healing testimony. And so my grandfather experienced that when he was six or seven years old. He told that story all the time. He loved it. It was, it was a comforting story. It reminded him not only of his father, but also of his heavenly father, right? It was one of the very first experiences he had with the supernatural. It was one of the first experiences he had where he got to see what God was capable of. And so my grandpa would tell this story all the time. He loved it. And it seemed like every time he told it, the story got a little bigger and a little more fun. And he told it, one, to get a reaction out of people, but also because it was genuinely a story that he carried with him his entire life. And so over the years, um, as my grandfather got older and older, um, he ended up developing Alzheimer's. Um, and it was slow, like it often is. And it started off with just, you know, losing a couple of things around the house or forgetting where he was going in the car, all that kind of stuff. And then eventually it ended up escalating to the point where he was bedridden and his organs were shutting down one by one as his brain forgot how to operate his body. Um, and so he was experiencing that. And towards the end, uh, he was basically nonverbal for about a year. Um, you know, he could say a sentence here and there, but nothing really coherent. Uh, but if you've ever experienced a family member that's gone through a condition like this or maybe dementia or something similar, you know that they'll have good days and they'll have bad days. And he was having one of his good days where he was more lucid than normal. And my aunt needed prayer. And she had heard, she lived across the country, she had heard, hey, dad's having a great day today. Uh, you should call him. And so she called and she was like, you know what, I just, I just want my father-in-law to pray for me. So she called and was like, dad, could you pray for me? I need a healing right now. And my grandpa was having a bit of a hard time getting started as he was experiencing the, the mental fog of his Alzheimer's. And uh, my mom was sitting there with him. And as he was like having a hard time getting started, she said, I, I actually just watched a video of this yesterday. My mom filmed it. Um, she said, Dad, could you, could you tell the story of that guy, Daddy Fike? And he just immediately lit up. And he was like, you know, when I was a boy... And he told the whole story, and it centered him, and it brought him enough clarity and focus in the moment that he was then able to pray for my aunt. And that was one of the last times that uh, he had spoken, really, in any meaningful capacity before he lost the ability to do that. And that's what comforting memories can do for us, right? That's what comfort food can do for us, whether it's literal comfort food or whether it's emotional or spiritual comfort food. Uh, here at Radiant Life Church, for over 30 years now, Pastor Dave has, uh, I asked him, he said 31 years, he has concluded, and now Pastor Chris 
uh, have concluded the services at our church with a benediction, which a lot of you probably could say with me as I say it right now. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you talk about. Savor the presence of Jesus. It's been every single service, right? You know what to expect when you come in. If nothing else you know, I'm going to hear that benediction. And so since I've been here just a little over a year, it's already become a very comforting thing for me. I know that no matter what's going on in my life that week, no matter what I've experienced, if it's a good week, if it's a bad week, if I'm stressed, if I'm feeling great, I know I can go to church, I'm going to experience whatever God has for me, and then at the end, I'm going to be reminded to serve God with everything that I have. I'm going to be reminded to sit in his presence. That's comforting. The benediction is comforting. But I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. I'm using the word benediction, which is a decidedly churchy word. Uh, Maybe you don't know what that means. That's okay. I'm here for you. So a benediction is defined as an invocation for divine help and blessing. It's usually given at the end of a worship service. So it's the moment at the end of a service when the pastor or the priest or the preacher or whoever's running the service lays their hands out and they say, Lord, please bless these people. Pour out your spirit on them. Help them to know that you're walking beside them as they go forth throughout their week. And you dismiss the people so that they can go and conquer their week knowing that the Lord is on their side. Right? That's a a benediction. They, They serve as an opportunity to edify and lift up the congregation. When... Uh, when a benediction is given, the main purpose is to remind the congregation that God loves them, that he's committed to them, and that we should also be committed to him, right? And it's also a really good way to know when you can go get lunch. Um, So there are a lot of common benedictions that are used in the church today, like the one that I mentioned at our church here. Um, Also, in scripture, there are several different passages of scripture that serve this purpose wonderfully. Uh, the Apostle Paul, he was just handing out benedictions left and right throughout the New Testament. One comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and a lot of churches will quote this as their, like, hey, get out of here passage. Um, the Apostle Paul says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Right? You hear that and you're like, all right, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do this thing. Like, it pumps you up. It, it reminds you that God loves you, that he's blessed you. Let's get out of here. Let's, let's conquer our week. So this morning, I want to talk about um, one of the most prevalent or maybe the most prevalent benediction that is used in the church today and has been throughout history. Um, and it comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. Um, and in this passage, this is where God is laying down the law for Moses and Aaron so that they can go and talk to the Israelites and say, hey, this is what God told us while we were up here. This is what you guys need to do. And so in this passage, uh, immediately before and immediately after the, the passage we're going to be reading today, he's talking, the Lord is talking about how to make proper offerings, and he's talking about Nazarite vows, and he's talking about confessing your sins, uh, and he's talking about purity. And then in the middle of all of these instructions that are for the Israelites, he pauses and he gives an instruction for Aaron the priest and for uh, Aaron's sons as well. And so that's what we want to read today. We're going to read Uh, The book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. It'll be on the screen as well. The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you 
give you peace. So they will put my name on the Israelites, and I will bless them. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive and true. I thank you that when we look to it, we always find something new. So I pray that today you would uh, speak to each and every person in this room, that you would help us to uh, remember that you love us and that you care for us, and that you'd help us to find comfort in that. So we love you, Jesus. We trust you, and we pray all of this in your name. Amen. So this benediction from the book of Numbers, the Lord bless you, keep you, make his face shine on you, be gracious to you, turn his face toward you, give you peace, right? It's very familiar. It's one that we've heard a lot. It's been quoted extensively. Uh, probably a lot of you in the room immediately went, oh yeah, that's that song that Carrie Job came out with a couple years ago. And that's great. It's wonderful that we have music that quotes scripture so directly because that's how uh, scripture was memorized back in the early church and even before then. Uh, they would sing songs to each other that contained passages of scripture and that way they would be able to get it deep in their memory, um, and that way they would, they would have Scripture hidden in their heart, like it says to do. So maybe you know the benediction from that, or maybe uh, you know it from something else, right? This passage of Scripture obviously has more history to it than a two-year-old song. Um, in fact, actually in 1979, uh, archaeologists found uh, there were two scrolls. They were one inch wide, and when you unrolled them, they were about this long. They're called the Ketef Hinnom Scrolls. There's two scrolls, and on them were uh, this benediction. And the date that they dated this back to was the 6th or 7th century B.C., so 600 or 700 B.C. And it is currently the oldest surviving text of Scripture that we have. And the only thing written on it is this. It's this benediction. The oldest piece of Scripture that we still have that hasn't been, like, destroyed due to just paper being old or whatever is this passage of scripture. That's crazy, right? This is a meaningful, powerful passage of scripture that clearly had enough meaning that enough people wrote it down that some of it has survived for 2,700 years. So it's a short passage, but it's densely packed, and I want to take a look today at the three verses of the benediction itself um, and see what we can find. So starting in the first verse of the benediction, it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, today, in modern culture, we talk a lot about blessings. We talk about uh, blessings, but we don't really talk about them in a way that's very meaningful. We don't talk about them in a way that really gives it the levity, or not the levity, the, the weight that it deserves, right? We talk about blessings like your kid scores a soccer goal, and you're like, oh, I'm so blessed to have a son that's that great on the field. Or like you'll talk about blessings because you found a $20 bill in the parking lot. You'll be like, oh, God blessed me today. But blessing during biblical times was a much more uh, meaningful thing than finding 20 bucks and saying that the Lord has blessed you with his provision, right? Biblical blessing was an important idea that was wrapped up in family and fatherhood. It had deep roots in those concepts. The father's blessing back in those days was everything, right? We think of uh, blessings from a father in scripture. We think of maybe uh, Jacob and Esau and how they would fight. They fought over their father's blessing because they wanted it so badly. Or maybe we think of the prodigal son and how he went to his father and tried to get his blessing early. And the reason for that is because a father's blessing back then wasn't just like, ah, you're going to be fine, bless you. It was 
I'm going to give you everything that I have. Everything. I'm going to give you all of my land. I'm going to give you all of my animals, all of my possessions. I'm going to give you my family. It's all yours. I'm blessing you with my entire life. It's a complete and whole blessing. So it's, it's something that you would desire deeply, right? It functioned like a will, basically. It was everything that I have, here it is. I'm blessing you. And in a similar way, God's blessings, they're complete. God doesn't just bless us a little bit. He doesn't just bless us for a moment. He blesses us in a complete way. In Scripture, when it talks about God's blessings, it often mentions that your children will be blessed. It mentions that you'll be blessed with property and land. It mentions that you'll be blessed with good health and that God's blessings usually come along with a promise of God's continual presence as well. God's blessings are all-encompassing. So when we say, the Lord bless you, that's powerful, right? It conveys a ton of meaning of God's entire personhood, right? He's blessing you with everything that he's got. And when we look at the second half of this verse, it's the Lord bless you and keep you. We think of the word keep in this context, and maybe there's a couple of things that come to mind. Maybe you think of being kept from danger, right? A lot of times people will tell testimonies of like, oh, I was driving home from work, and I felt the Lord telling me that I should take a different path home. And so I drove back a different way, and then I got home, and I found out there was an accident, and the Lord kept me from danger, right? The Lord kept me from being in that car accident. And that, that's valid, right? That's, that's part of it. Or maybe you think of being kept in God's presence, right? When, when God uh, sends his presence upon us, we talk about savoring the presence of Jesus in the benediction that we give here, right? It's God is keeping you close to him, right? He's holding you close. He's keeping you. Or maybe you think of being kept in God's blessings, right? That's more directly tied to what we're talking about today. God's blessings are continual. They keep going and they never stop, right? He blesses you, but it's not just a one-time thing. He keeps you in his blessing. It's a state. It's not just a thing. The Lord keeps his people close to him. He keeps his people close to him. Let's look at the next verse. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. So the first half of this verse, the Lord make his face shine on you. It's a metaphor, right? And it brings to mind a couple of things. Um, first, God's face shining on you, uh, for me at least, the first thing it reminds me of is the sun, right? You think of the sun as providing you with light and warmth. Those are the two things that it does for you. So the sun, it lights up outside so that we can see. It helps us to see what's around us. It helps us to see what's ahead of us. We know what's on the path before us because the sun is illuminating it for us. And at nighttime, Unless we have something to counteract the darkness, we can't do very much because the sun's not there to light our path, right? And it also provides us with warmth, right? It gives us the warmth that we need to survive. We think about um, the North and South Pole, the places where the sun doesn't hit as directly because of the angle of the earth, right? We don't get that warmth, and therefore it's suddenly nearly impossible to survive there. You see the extreme living conditions of like the scientists that live in the South Pole. They have to go through all of this crazy stuff to just live out there because they don't have the warmth of the sun. And it's not even that they don't have it, it's just that they don't have it quite as much, right? 
we need so much from the sun. And even beyond that, beyond physically needing the sun, if you think about places like Alaska, where the sun is gone for 10 months out of the year, you hear constant stories and see statistics of seasonal depression rates being way higher in places like that because they don't have the sun reminding them that, that it's okay, right? The sun brings light and it brings warmth and that helps our bodies, but it also helps our minds, right? We need the sun. So we hear the Lord's face is shining on us and we're like, oh, I know what that means because the sun does this for me. So just like the sun lights my path, just like the sun shows me what's around me, just like the sun provides me warmth that fills my body and also fills my soul, right? The Lord does that for us as well. But the other thing that this metaphor does, the Lord shine his face on you, is it reminds us of the idea of God beaming at us. So we think of his face and then it's shining. So he's beaming, right? You, you hear somebody beaming and you're like, okay, this must mean that they have the biggest smile. They're looking at something with great fondness. They love whatever they're looking at. They find favor in it. And that's what scripture tells us that God does when he sees us. The book of Genesis tells us that God made us in his image. He created us and he found us to be good, right? He finds favor in us. So when we see that the Lord's face shines on us, we know God is smiling when he looks at us. He's satisfied with his creation. He finds us good. Secondly, though, or it's not secondly, uh, the second half of this verse talks then about how God is gracious to us. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And so we think of grace, um, grace from God, much like blessings from God, way more powerful, way more complete than anything that we could muster, right? When we give grace to somebody, it's nowhere near the amount of grace that the Lord can give us. God's grace extends beyond what we deserve. God's grace allows us to have our families and our friends. God's grace supplies us with the places that we live and the jobs that we work at and the, the finances that that provides for us, right? God's grace allows all of that. But God's grace, even more than that, it provides us with a, an opportunity to have a relationship with God. God has found so much favor in you He's shown so much grace to you that the God of all creation, he made everything. He says, you know what? I want to have a relationship with you too. That's grace. As we look at the final verse of the benediction here, it says, the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So it's another mention here of the Lord's face, right? Last time we talked about how the Lord's face is shining like the sun and how he's beaming when he looks at us. But this time, uh, it says the Lord turn his face toward you. Maybe your Bible says the Lord lift his countenance towards you. That's another valid translation. And when you think of countenance or turning your face, what it means is the idea of, say, I'm looking over here, and you talk to me, and maybe I don't hear you, but you say my name, and suddenly I go, oh. And I look at you, right? You've gotten my attention. I've lifted my countenance towards you. I've turned my face towards you. And that's what it's saying here, right? God is looking at you when you talk to him. God's face shining in the previous verse is about the look on his face. But God turning his face towards you, his countenance, 
It's about the direction that he's looking. He's paying attention to you, right? God cares about what you're going through. Uh, a lot of times we might feel like it's not worth praying because maybe God has way too much going on. There's no way he cares about me. But scripture tells us to cast our cares upon him for he cares for us. God is listening you, listening to you when you speak to him. And he cares about what you have to say. His attention is pointed to you. But what's even better than an ear that's there to listen? It's one that can follow that up with a solution to what's going on. And that's what God has for us. God has his peace. That's what it says in the second half of this verse. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And just like the concept of blessing is one that we've kind of watered down over the years, peace is the same way. When we think of peace in our modern times, we think, well, we're not actively fighting a war right here in Ohio, so it must be peaceful. I guess we're at peace. We think of peace as like a lack of conflict. But peace in the Bible, the word shalom that's used in the Hebrew in the Old Testament, is a much bigger and more broadly uh, encapsulating subject, right? It's, it's, it's a concept that has way more to do with just not fighting. Biblical peace is about wholeness and God's presence. Biblical peace is about wholeness and God's presence. It's a comprehensive fulfillment or perfection in life and spirit that transcends any success which humans can attain on their own. It transcends anything that we can accomplish on our own. It's better, it's bigger, and we couldn't do it on our own. We could not accomplish biblical peace the way that it's truly described in the Bible. It encompasses our well-being, our health, our prosperity, our salvation. And since we know that we can't do all of that on our own, we know that we can't do it. But we also know many of us have experienced biblical peace. So we know that it must be a gift from God. It has to be a gift from God, right? We can't do it. It isn't coming from us, so it has to be coming from God. But we know that that is, in fact, the case, right? Scripture tells us over and over again that God supplies us with peace. A couple of examples are the fruit of the Spirit, right? God gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Or maybe we think about the armor of God, right? It's a classic Scripture passage. Uh, we're told to put on peace. Peace is given to us by the Lord. It's a gift. Uh, there's a biblical commentator named Durham uh, who says shalom, again, the Hebrew word for peace, Shalom is the gift of God and can be received only in his presence. For shalom in Numbers chapter 6, the passage we're speaking about today, shalom in Numbers chapter 6 is intended as a description of the man who is blessed, who is guarded, and treated graciously by God. The man who is doubly in God's presence, the man who is fulfilled and so complete. God's peace is the sum total of all good things that God gives to his people, to us. It's the total. Everything added up together is what creates God's peace. So today, I just want you to know that you're blessed, not just by your pastors when we speak benedictions over you, but you're blessed by the Lord. And it doesn't stop when we put our hand down and you get up to go to Taco Bell or whatever you're doing. It stops. If you let it stop, it'll stop. But if you continue to walk through your life knowing that the Lord has blessed you, 
and that he's keeping you, and that his face is shining upon you, he's gracious to you, he's turned his face toward you, and he's giving you peace. You walk your life knowing that. The blessing continues, right? You live kept inside of that blessing. I have this, uh, this stick up here. Some of you that were paying a little more attention than others have probably been wondering if I was going to use it or even bring attention to it or if it was just going to sit there. Here it is. Uh, it is a walking stick. It's a cane. Um, it's old, probably. I don't know. I don't want to give it a date. It's very old. Um, my grandfather went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. The, my Grandpa Hollis, Jonathan, that I was speaking about earlier. Uh, his battle with Alzheimer's eventually ended up uh, getting the better of him, and as time went on, more and more of his organs shut down, and uh, eventually, about a year and a half ago, he went to be with the Lord. And so, uh, as we went back um, to Kansas to be there for the funeral and help out around the house and all that kind of stuff, uh, we did what any good family would do when a family member passes away and we went through his stuff. Um, so as we were looking through all of his stuff, rifling through the drawers, you know, just making a mess of the place, um, we found uh, rooms and rooms and rooms of this house that were full of books like you wouldn't believe. They were full of uh, books like, like this one here that were just full to the brim of sermons written by hand that he had preached over the years, over the 50 years of pastoring. They were full of study notes. Uh, he had this habit after his eyesight went downhill a little bit over the years where he would go to a coffee shop and he'd have a big Bible, he'd have a big notebook, and he would have a pen, and he would have a magnifying glass because he wanted to be able to see the scripture as best as he could. That's just how he did things. And then as we were looking through his house, um, there was just all this stuff everywhere, right? But the thing that stood out to me the most were the physical reminders of who my grandfather was. Uh, so in his garage, a lot of people, their garages, they'll have like hooks mounted on the wall so they could like hang a ladder or maybe like a garden tools or whatever. My grandpa, as long as I can remember, he had hooks all along his garage walls and on them were canes like this one or crutches or old wheelchairs. And they were there literally my whole life, I remember seeing these. And what they were, uh, they were from his father's ministry. When his father would pray for people that were sick, when they were crippled, they couldn't walk. They would come to the church services with their walking assistant, right, with whatever it was, a cane, crutches, a wheelchair, something else, maybe a walker. They would come to these church services. My great-grandpa would pray for them, and the Lord would heal them it would be a miraculous thing but then they would go well what use do I have for this cane anymore I don't need it and so they would give it to my great grandpa and uh, back then they used to, preachers used to call them trophies not because it's like a game that you can win but because it's like a reminder a physical reminder of how good God was it's something you can look at and you can see God did something amazing so he kept all of these right they hung in his garage until he died and then when he died, my grandpa got them, and they hung in his garage. And then my grandfather passed away a year and a half ago, and now these canes are all over the country. We each got one or two or however many. So this is the one that I took. Um, it's an old walking stick. 
keep it in my house. Um, and it's right by my front door. So every time that I come home, it's like the first thing that I see when I walk in the room. And it's a reminder. I mean, first of all, it's a reminder of my grandpa, who I miss, who I love. Uh, but it's also a reminder of the fact that the Lord is powerful, and that the Lord loves us, and he cares about what we're going through. And that's what I pray uh, benedictions are like for you guys, right? I pray that as we speak things over you, that you would be reminded of how much the Lord loves you and how much he cares for you. And I pray that it wouldn't stop there. I pray that you would find your own reminders and that you would find your own things to cling to and that they would keep you in line whenever you're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to do this. I'm stressed. I'm anxious. I'm scared. I'm hurting. That you would be able to cling to a reminder of how good God is and how much he loves you. So this morning, if you would stand, I want to close by speaking a couple of benedictions over you. Um, the first is a reminder. It's a reminder of God's blessings, of his love for us, the peace that he provides for us. It's the one that we spoke about today. And then the second is the familiar benediction that we all know. Um, it reminds us to honor God with everything that we have and to savor his presence. So extend your hand towards me. I'd love to speak these benedictions over you and then we'll be free to go. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. As you go out this week, be careful what you watch, be careful what you listen to, be careful what you talk about. Savor the presence of Jesus.